Welcome to the Unboxing Your Packaging podcast, where we pop packaging out of the box thanks to the shared experience of inspiring businesses and experts. I am Colleen Regou from Look for Loops. My passion is to optimize the use of resources and designing out waste. This show aims to help you redesign, reuse, and recover your packaging. Did you know that March is the month of bulk? To understand better what Packaging Free is about in daily life for businesses and all stakeholders, including you and me, I invited two committed actors in the bulk world. Celia, the co-founder of Rezovrac, the bulk network federating more than 1,500 professionals in the sector, such as suppliers and retailers, in 14 countries. And Elsa, the co-founder of Yokomi, a cosmetic brand working with more than 200 refill points of sale. In this episode, you will learn how reusable packaging and bulk are bonded. How being part of a supportive network can enhance safety, logistic efficiency, and scaling. And how products and people are at the core of the bulk system. I hope that after this interview, you will be motivated to try bulk out for yourself as well as for your business. I enjoyed how Elsa and Celia paired their respective experiences and zoomed in and out about the bulk subject. The ice on the cake? If you are in Europe, meet our guests at the annual Packaging Free Trade Fair on the 14th and the 15th of May 2023. It could be the starting point of determining collaborations. Let's start. Hi, Elsa and Celia. Hi, Hi Colleen. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the Unboxing Your Packaging podcast. So to start, I thought it was relevant that you present what each of you do in one or two sentences. Wow, one or two sentences. It's a complicated exercise because I have two activities, so I can make a sentence for each of it. So my first activity is to be the co-founder of Yokumi, which is a cosmetic brand, a fair trade and organic brand. And we are specialized in selling bulk products. So we will talk about this later, I think. And the second part of my life is dedicated to the development of the Circular Economy College, which is a workshop where people discover how we use resources in the linear economy and how we can transform our system to a more circular economy. That's great. And indeed, in this podcast, we will focus more on the first part. Maybe, Celia, you, you want to explain the link between you two to make the bridge after. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm Celia Hansen. I co-founded a professional organization named Rezovrac, whose purpose is to structure, develop and democratize bulk sales in order to cut food and packaging waste. I'm 33 years old and I'm a mother also of two children who are three and five years old. 
And the link between us two, you you heard it's the word bulk, packaging free. And uh, Yokumi has been a member of Resovrac since 2020. And she's very engaged, like all of us. And that's what links us every day, three years ago now. Okay, thank you. Because it's an interprofessional association, right? It's for the development of packaging free retail. It's like, so... Yes, uh-huh. we have more than 1,200 members who are suppliers and also shops, retailers in France and also in 14 countries all around the world. They are French professionals and they are members abroad. Okay, so French talker or like user? French talker. <laughs> okay. French talker, French reserve. I didn't really find an equivalent of Rezovrac abroad. Mm-hmm. And they discovered us. And when they want to jump and go for bulk, usually they, they find easily Rezovrac on the internet. And also we have translated our website mm-hmm. in English. Maybe it's also that that helps. But you know what, in Canada, I am based in Vancouver and there are a lot of French people who are looking for great initiatives to be inspired by. And sometimes talking several languages can be an advantage. So mm-hmm. here we are here to make links and bridges and maybe it will lead to other collaboration in that sense. So I feel that it's important here to clarify the difference because you mentioned bulk, but we also can speak about refill, packaging free. And so what does that mean with your perspective? All those kind of sales or way to buy are to me under the umbrella of reuse. They have in common the reuse packaging. But when you talk about bulk, you can choose the quantity. And you can choose your container because the products that you buy, they are not packaged. They are packaging free. So you can choose the quantity you help yourself and you can choose to bring your own container. That's bulk. Then in the middle, we call refill. It means that you can bring your own container, but you do not choose the quantity. Usually you press a button and then you fill it with a certain amount that are imposed by the equipment, the machine. And then you have what we call in France, a deposit that you have on the reusable packaging. It's like when you buy your jam, it's already in a container. So you do not choose the quantity, but instead of throwing the container, you will return it. You retrieve your deposit or sometimes it's for free, but you do not throw the container. That's the difference. So bulk, you choose the quantity, you choose your container. Refill, you do not choose the quantity, but you can bring your own container. And then the deposit, you do not choose the quantity, but you do not throw the container, you return. And then the umbrella is reused, but also the packaging free is like single-use packaging free kind of. Yes, exactly. So the reusable container, it's really what links the different kind of sales. And then choosing or not your quantity, it's what makes the variable between those three. Perfect. So I, I would like to go a little bit deeper in this bulk subject with Elsa, because she is 
on the field with her business. And if I go on your website, there is a whole page dedicated on your bulk vision. So you are bringing mostly three good reasons to go bulk with Yukomi. Saying economic, so buy only at essential, not the packaging. So it's a little bit related to what Celia just mentioned. Ecological, always good for you and better for the planet. And the last one is about solidarity. I can read it supports women's economic empowerment. Could you explain that? Yes. <laughs> That's super interesting. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because my vision of transition basically is an integrated approach. I think as a transition we have to do, it's a big, big opportunity for us to rethink all the way we do business, all the way we interact with each other. And the transition is at the same time time a big big challenge for us but also an opportunity and we have to take this opportunity to rethink it so for me social stakes and environmental stakes are the two sides of the same coin we cannot make a sustainable transition without thinking about the social issues so what we do with yokumi is to really develop on the field <laughs> this approach So we work with women in Togo and in Morocco, which are small-scale producers. And we have a non-profit organization aside the, the company, which work to reinforce the capacity of these small-scale producers to empower women at the same time. So for us, it's the two sides of the same coin. So we cannot develop a sustainable and organic brand without thinking about what are the social impact of our activity on the field yeah oh i can agree more and i feel that in sustainability or circular economy or whatever you call it it's sometimes kind of the missing point mm. what is forgotten and i feel the same it's like bringing changes has to bring people with it and all yeah. ecosystem with it so i really like your perspective it's a very powerful and It makes me think because we are talking about these beautiful women who are trying to succeed in businesses and you make some bridge by also improving the system that will accompany the business model with it. I really like that. But the link between you two is also a human kind of thing because you, you are sharing experiences and so on. So maybe still I would like to hear from Elsa and then we will switch to Celia. But why did you choose to be part of the bulk movement? And how much is it also an economic in a business perspective reason because it maybe brings you more sales or is it only value driven part of it or so why are you part of it and, and then we will dig a little bit more about what is doing the network with Celia. The network for me, yeah, to be strong, uh, we need to be together. So this initiative is The main purpose of the network is to be together and to share our experiences, our difficulties. And the work that Rezobrak is doing with us is amazing because we can find the support that we need. Because when you are doing your business, you can feel lonely sometimes. And when you are innovating, you can feel even more lonely <laughs> because <laughs> you face difficulties that you cannot talk to other people in the same field that you are evolving so 
it's really important for us to have this network. And of course, it brings us a lot of contacts for retailers. But at the same time, it's a lot of support for regulation, for trainings, and also maybe we will talk about it later, but uh, there is this big moment in the year, which is the bulk fair. And it's a really, really important moment because we are all together, the producers, the retailers, and all the ecosystem that can make this happen. And this is what we need to do now. It's to rebuild the ecosystem of the deposit system, of the refill. To, to permit this, we need to be numerous <laughs> and to have a lot of businesses that can take part in this new value chain to, to build. Yeah, this is a, the big challenge right now. Yeah, what I hear is like, doesn't matter the size of your business, it's really like being together and to change what is needed in the system. Thank you for sharing that. And Celia, then the Packaging Free Network is bringing support to future or current retailers, even retail chains and suppliers through a lot of things. I have like courses, events, judicial advices that, as I just mentioned, and network. So would you like to expand a little bit on this? And what do you think it's the most relevant to share? And because... People can always check on the website, but I feel that it's good to have a good sense of what you do. And maybe also how we created Azovrac and why we created it too. I share my story with what Elsa just said. A couple of years ago, it was in 2013, like 10 years ago, actually, I became aware of the damages prepackaged consumption did. It's food and packaging waste. So in France, we throw 48 kilos of packaging waste barrier and 20 kilos of food, including seven kilos of food that is intact, that you can eat because we buy too much. Though when I became aware of that, I decided to change my conception and buy in bulk was for me an easy solution to buy in bulk with reusable packaging. But even though I live in Paris and I have a lot of offer close to me, I didn't really find all the food and all the products I wanted in bulk. And then the hygiene was not already very well, according to one shop to another. Though I decided I will open my own bulk shop. And when I wanted to do so, I realized it was really difficult to do because there were nothing. There were no offer, no supplier, no rules no training, and then I realized that if it was so difficult for me to do so, I guess that other entrepreneurs were in the same case as me, and then we won't change the world because we won't be able to open a shop, then, we, then it will stay as it is. And at that time, in 2016, I met Zero Waste France, and with their help, and other professionals, we decided to create a dedicated association, organization to help all those entrepreneurs and to build and to structure a market in order to enable professionals to grow up and to grow up with clear rules, with good tools and with infrastructures and peers. And this is how we built the Réseau VRAC seven years ago now. 
And so the three missions of Resovrac is to structure, and we structure with lobbying actions and with trainings. Then we develop the markets. So we provide our members with tools. We created, like Elsa said, a professional trade fair where all suppliers can meet the retailers. And also we encourage everybody, firms, public sectors, journalists, citizens, consumers to go for bulk. And how we do that, we do some conferences. We wrote a book, VRAC Mode d'Emploi. And we created also an annual citizen moment that we call the bulk month, the month of bulk, and which happens in March. It's this year, it will be the second edition. And during that time, we have 31 days to organize events in France and also to have the opportunity to talk to consumers and explain them how bulk is easy, what brings and change in their life. Like Elsa said, you can save money because you buy less, you throw less, you throw less food, but you saw less packaging waste, etc., etc. So this is a, a key moment for us to talk about this sustainable and responsible consumption. Wow, thank you. <laughs> I think there is a lot of... Takeaways from your, your network and all you propose, it's, it's amazing. And I see Elsa knocking her head. <laughs> maybe, maybe you want to share in a few words, what is your main takeaways? Like, what would you say to someone who, who hesitates to join the network that will convince him? Maybe something else that's the strength of the network, but like, what is your main takeaway from that? I think in my point of view, when you are an entrepreneur in the bulk field, you need to feel safe and you are in front of really moving regulation system towards this subject because it's new. So everything is to build. So the lobbying part of Resovrac is really, really important for us because they are doing the job. It's not us as companies who can do this. So they are doing this part. And at the same time, they are making points with public policies towards the bulk. So this is good for us, obviously. And we can feel safe because we have this regulation support, we have these advices, and so we can ask questions because we are all learning. And this is what I find really interesting because I love learning new things and building new projects. But at the same time, you need to do it in the right way. And for example, we talked about hygiene. This is a big stake for us, is to prove that bulk consumption is safe, it's hygienic, and we can do it in the right way. It's not a return in the food safety system, it's, it's just another way to consume. So for me, it's, yeah, it's really safe to, to feel support. Okay, yeah. Celia, you want to uh, add something? She's totally right. We created a legal framework because it didn't exist. So we tried to secure, to create, to secure this legal framework for all members and also to protect them. We had, I don't know if you remember Elsa, a very big fight 
one year ago, exactly one year ago, about a decree that wanted to go live and they wanted to ban some detergent products. And so we fought, we fought very hard to say, no, you cannot ban this kind of product because we always used to sell them in bulk and we had no hygiene, no sanitary problems. So you cannot decide to ban this, etc. So we are really here to secure the legal framework, but also to protect the interest of our member in order to develop bulk. Because if you forbid this product, this product, this product, this product, then you are you have no other way to buy your product only in single-use packaging. And then our efforts would have been for nothing. And this is really what we do not want. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And specifically as a consumer or a user, I don't know what's the best word here. Don't like so much a consumer. I, I definitely hear you. I like when I can go not in 100 different places to find my little thing that I might find in bulk or whatever. It's, it's make really sense. When I feel a user as well safe, and also that I can, I know that I will find this kind of product there and there and there, and then I can shop what I need, not all over the place and, and not fighting to find the little hidden shop that still make it. No, it's really like on the shelf and it's, it's working. And that's also make the user confidence. Also for me, I have tried at the beginning of this kind of system in our society, yeah, it's, it's not new, many products. And when you find a good one, you are hoping that it will still be there <laughs> tomorrow, right? It's not like, oh, great, I found one. And then ah, <laughs> there is a ban or whatever. And then because it's also like every brand, right? You have your preference. Yeah. Well, it's already a challenge to convert people to bulk. It's clearly a change of behavior, a change of habit, because we lose the habit to buy in bulk, to be in the contact of the product. In France, we have the supermarket since the 1960s. So it makes more than 60 years that we are used to buy a product that is sold in single use. And it's just a movement of two seconds. You take the package, you throw it in your bag, and you do not think. You do not think if it is the right quantity for you, because you only choose between one volume or another. But maybe even the smaller size is not right fitted for you. So you only choose between two sizes. And then you just even throw the package into your bag and then you go to another aisle of the supermarket, etc., etc. While buying bulk is that, so you are in front of the product, the product is just speaking to you. you. You do not have a nice image on the packaging that tells you how is the product. You see the product for real. You do not have hundreds of quantities of sometimes not useful information, really. Sometimes I'm just looking at the packaging and I'm reading the mentions and the information and I say 80% of it is not useful. They are just writing things on the packaging just to fill something because humans do not like when it's empty. They like when it's full of something. And then 
bulk, you are in front of your product. And so no information, no marketing, nothing. And you have to choose your own quantity, but you have no idea because we only imposed two sides in the supermarket. And then you need to help yourself and bring your own container. Or sometimes you can find a container paper bag in the supermarket, but all those small movements, we have been unused to it for 60 years. So when you, you succeed in catching the consumer and making him go to bulk, if a product disappears, then you totally lose your consumer and then you lost all the efforts that you did to change that for good. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really important point, the, the discussion about the packaging and the marketing that it's made. Like the packaging is in fact a tool for marketing. And so with bulk, the interesting part is that marketing is way less powerful. And so you, you focus on the product and on the quality, which is a chance for us because what makes a good brand, the quality of the product they sell. So you move the attention of the consumer from useless consideration to the basic needs and the fundamental needs and the quality of the products. So for me here, it's a revolution, a good one. Because it's really important that we move our attention to essentials. And for me, it's my definition of sufficiency. So it's really important to point this because it's also a lot of lies that we can get rid of and we can focus on the the good products. Thank you, Elsa and Celia. Yeah, go ahead. And if I just can have a smaller Tagline, I always say that with bulk, the product is its own marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, you cannot cheat on the consumer. The consumer, he sees the product. He sees the quality. You just go straight to the essential. You do not lie to the consumer. Hmm, That's a good motto. (laughs) That's almost (laughs) almost marketing. (laughs) 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 And because you mentioned lies and grocery shops, it made me think about the secondary packaging before the bulk system. Our audience might have seen ironic pictures with a pile of plastic on the side of a bulk system. What advice would you recommend to avoid any cheating in that sense as well? So do you give also some advice about logistic chain and what is your best advice for a zero waste logistic in terms of distribution and storage? I can tell for us, for example, the bulk distribution reduced by 80% of the packaging for the same quantity that we sell for between the single use packaging and the bulk offer, it reduced 90% of the packaging waste. So this is the first thing. After, we still have waste with the secondary packaging. That's true. And this is our main challenge as producers to work on this logistic chain before it comes to the shop. But as I said, we need a strong ecosystem to do this because if we want to make a deposit on the secondary container, we need to have the system to wash it, to clean it and to refill it for the shop. So it's a big project for the food system. Yeah. Yeah, something to add, Celia? 
Yes, there will always be packaging in the bulk value chain. The question is, can we replace single use by reusable packaging when we cannot cut packaging? So between the shop, the retailer, and the consumer, we can clearly cut the packaging because you come you with your own packaging, your own container reusable. So you can go almost zero waste. But the packaging that we need to tackle is the packaging between the producer and the retailer. We have a couple of examples of suppliers amongst our members that reuse this big packaging between the supplier and the retailer. But it's not what happens in every case for two reasons. The first reason is, is the supplier equipped to retrieve, to get back his packaging and to wash it? And also when it's not local distribution, but national distribution, for example, between Paris and Bordeaux, two big cities, is the supplier going to ask the retailer, hey, give me back, send me back your empty packaging and it's nonsense. So what we did with Rezovrac is that we settled an experiment in 2021. We called it the Hub Vrac, and it was close to Paris with 20 players. So we had 10 shops and 10 suppliers. And what we wanted to do is to try to see if we could supply the shops with bulk products that were not in single-use packaging, but in big box, big box. Then the shop was receiving his products. So we had some prunes, pasta, cakes, etc., rice, etc. And he was receiving those products in big boxes. And then when the boxes were empty and he was ordering other products, he was giving back the empty boxes to the transporter the big boxes were washed, cleaned, dried, and there they could be refilled again. So we tried this. We did three loops. And what we noticed is that the products were good. We didn't damage the product because you need to think that the packaging has a role. It helps transport the goods and protect the goods. So what we want is to remove, replace single use by reuse packaging, but keeping the same objectives. So we did that. The products were not damaged. We were able to cut by at least 25% the CO2 emission. The problem was the cost because we added many players in the loop and we didn't do the experiment with improved and optimized the system. So it was more expensive. So now what we understood is that we could do it, but we needed volume. And volume in our industry is really the key because the single-use industry has been optimized for more than 60 years. So it is cheap. It is cheap to prepackage food, to prepackage cosmetics, to prepackage detergent in single-use plastic packaging because it has been optimized and also because the plastic and those packaging, they do not integrate the negative external cost 
of what they damage. While us, our reuse industry, we are very small, we are new, and we don't have the volume. And it is very capex intensive because you need to invest a lot to change the production line, to adapt the shops, etc., etc. So we cannot compete. And this is what we need to do now. We need to expand, to develop. We need to have a lot of consumers to buy in bulk and in reuse packaging. We need to have a lot of brands, a lot of shops that go for it. So we will have the volume. And when we have the volume, then we have the economic scales and then we can compete with single use. This is really the key of changing things and scaling up. Ah, interesting. And do you believe then with a partnership with bigger structure like supermarkets or is it like something tricky? It's already happening. Yeah? Mm -hmm. It's already happening. Big brands too. And this is a strategic plan that I presented to the sustainable minister two weeks ago. It's, I explained them this and I say, if you want us, if you want to reuse to develop, you need at some point to support us, to support the players financially because we are all very young they are all very young structures and they don't have the volume and you need to support us and you need to support every player because some of them they are not sustainable financially at the moment okay yeah but the law is going in the right direction so i'm very confident in this but we need support And money at some point matters. Is really a... <laughs> <laughs> to shift. It's interesting, and I hear you. That's yeah, it's a big part of your job as well to make bridging that area as well on decision level area. We we help firms and suppliers like Elsa. Elsa, she does it every day. Us, we just help them. Yeah, <laughs> we support them, which is great. Perfect combo. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> And it makes me think about the um, burning question I always ask to my guests. As you might know, I ask you to get what burning question they would like to address to a next guest. And I have chosen for you the question of Mike from Returnity in episode 30. It's about how to find the right balance. So here's his question. So there is so much passion and energy around refill as an alternative to disposal. How to ensure that refillable packaging is reused enough to make that a good choice for the environment? Because you can sell it if the customer makes the purchase decision upfront. is often benefiting the retailer, but if there is no refilling over the time, it might not be benefiting the planet. So how are you or are we going to be smarter about that challenge as we switch towards refill model, in particular for project packaging? So what I, I heard, of course, you are the best one to answer this question. It's a bit long, but the idea is, Here, we just talk about, okay, food waste and the right quantity and so on. But then we have like the packaging in itself. And what his question is about is like, okay, if it doesn't make loops enough, then we are not competing in the right way with single-use packaging. So for me, because of that question, I have sub-question I will say to you, and maybe you can share the answer. It's like, what kind of conditions does the product have to meet to be in bulk? 
or do you have in mind any backfire or non-intentional effects to take into account? And maybe for Elsa, is it easy to fulfill? And have you changed something about your product to fit bulk system? So it's all this. If we want the packaging to be in loop again, what do we have to to change also to fit this function and uh, objectives about packaging itself? Is that clear? Or? <laughs> to my point, I think that there were like many, many questions. <laughs> in Germany, for example, it's a country that uh, they, they didn't really drop the deposit. Uh, I think that average a bottle is uh, is used six times return. That makes six times a loop a year. Mm-hmm. That that's a figure. And usually, you can use the bottle till fifty uh, times until uh, two fifty times. The key is education. It's education. And education, it's to repeat the same message broadly. So this is what we need to do. It's to educate people and every type of people, every age, and to repeat that message to give them the gesture, the the move to return. Uh, this is something that we totally uh, forgot. So we need to uh, explain again and again how to return a container, empty container. So this is first. And then the second, it's to invest a lot of machine to return also these empty containers, to standardize the containers and to have a lot of washing factories all around the territory. This is the big roadmap that we have in France at the moment. It's about standardization of the containers because people they are not going to storage and to stock a lot of different containers because this is this brand, this is this brand, this is this brand. And then they say, at the end, oh, I will never return it because I'm not going to that shop. I'm not going to return it because I'm not going to order again from that shop. So we need to standardize to have the possibility to return easily the empty containers and to have all around the territory, the infrastructure that enable that. But then the base is also education everywhere. I totally agree on this. I think education is the starting point and the main point we need to focus on. And I would say there is another thing that we need to voice is that packaging in the linear economy that we know, there is no value in it. We were used to throw it because there is no value. It's something that you just don't even notice, just a marketing support. And then there is no more value when you open your product. Now with a return system and with better materials, that the reuse packaging are made of, like a glass or more solid plastic, you have material. There is something more tangible that you can touch. And there is value that you can recognize. It's not something that you will throw easily because it's stronger, it's it weight more. So there is also this relation to the packaging that is evolving because something really light in plastic and you don't you don't want to care about it. A nice glass pack or bottle or jar, you want to care about it because it weighs something and yeah, 
you can recognize it as value. So I think there is a lot of education to do around this. And the, the way we touch the packaging will also help us in this packaging shift. I don't know if I'm clear, <laughs> but... Uh... Oh, yeah, totally, it makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> Even some people keep them, right? <laughs> and it's what you said at the beginning in the definition between like a refill and belt and so on. You can keep in some system the same packaging and, and refill it again and then it can be even beautiful in your kitchen and you don't want to hide it anymore in a clothes furniture mm. or whatever and seeing the product might be also a part of the self-marketing <laughs> but it's also yeah the value I hear it and, and also the strength of it definitely to, to be honest when my children are manipulating a jar that is made to reuse I am really more comfortable than when it's like thin glasses and so on i'm not saying that it will not break but still <laughs> there is less chance yeah. so it's also something that makes sense right mm. and for cleaning and so on and all in logistic process so i i still have a lot of questions but i need to focus here <laughs> on some part of it De definitely because you just mentioned what was your vision about packaging and so on but You are part of the forward thinker in cosmetic brands and about packaging is a big deal, right? Because in cosmetic, there are like this crazy packaging sometimes with like a shape of a body or whatever. So what are the reactions from your brand users? Do you have like people who are saying something about that? And what are the risks according to you in terms of using a kind of standardized or specific packaging to reach the, the user and then they keep your brand you already mentioned the quality of the product but if you can also expand a bit on the packaging to fit your product and so on so risk and advantages and maybe because of that what is the biggest impact along your value chain yeah so in the low Now, you need to use specific containers for cosmetics. So you still have this pleasure to have a good-looking container for your bathroom. So this is a nice thing because I can understand that cosmetics is also a moment when you need to, yeah, to take care of yourself and you want to have this pleasure as food. It's the same, but in another atmosphere. So we don't need to sacrifice the pleasure of the, the aesthetic and what packaging can bring. But maybe it's me thinking this, but I think we really need to focus on essentials. And it's clear for everybody that now the packaging industry has invented numerous useless parts of the packaging and we can get rid of this without diminishing the, the quality of the product. As I said, we focus on the quality and For example, some perfume brands are doing this now. So you can refill your bottle, which is well designed and stuff. So I don't think we need to throw everything away, but we really need to think differently and to be smart, simple, to be smart on how we can still have this pleasure of good looking packaging or to keep the pleasure, but at the same time to be less impactful for the planet. But it's a challenge for everybody and we just need to ask ourselves the right question. Sometimes some pleasures that we have are totally useless and are making a lot of impact. So we need to focus on what it's important. And yeah, that's great. And it makes me think about another thing. Let's say that the user have this beautiful 
container or standardized container and it has to come to a distribution system. I was a little bit curious about what would you choose. <laughs> I don't want you to pick a favorite among your network, but maybe because you have seen several examples, or maybe you as I also work with different kind of system with different kind of retailers. What kind of system do you like the most or what do you see as advantage or where do you feel it has to change the most? Because you have like systems, automatic ones, pre-labeled containers, also the dispensing fountains that can cost an arm and leg or not so much depending on the product. So it's <laughs> always, you know, it's it depends. And, and so I, I would like to hear a little bit of experience about that because we have the packaging, the product, and also the system that distributed the, the product in the container that is served in bulk. So would you say that the equation is more profitable for certain products, maybe in terms of volume and margins, as we talked before, and places of sale, like frequentation, loyalty, and so on? Yeah, how can we make our triage here <laughs> to choose one system more than another? Yeah, the difficulty is that every product is specific. You will have the liquids that are apart. You will have the solids, the dry. There are different products that have different needs. For me, I would talk for liquids because I sell a lot of cosmetic oils. There are several innovation right now to have convenient distribution. But for now, for us, for example, we don't have the capacity and the infrastructure to use them. So we have our proper distribution system and we cannot really work with the big brand that have more convenient distribution system because we're too small for now. So as I said, it's a matter of being together and being bigger together to build this strong ecosystem, to work together and to find the best distribution system for the consumer. Because at the end, all the, the ecosystem rely on what we can offer to this consumer. And if it's convenient, we all win. Yeah, thank you. And Celia, do you have something on it? She, she's totally right. The kind of dispenser depends on the type of product. Is it very liquid or not? The value of the product and the place, the type of shop where it is distributed. Because when you are in a very small shop, like a, a bulk shop that is usually a 60 square meter, where you have a seller that sells only bulk goods, then you know you will have service and advice and so you do not need to have very expensive technological dispensers because you have the human the seller the shopkeeper that does this job and that explain you helps you is here for you while you are in a very big supermarket and you do not have people from the shop to help you serve etc you will need to have maybe more secured type of dispenser to avoid people to steal or to put their hands in the products, etc. And so you do not have the same dispensers according to that too. Mm, okay, that's pretty clear. Thank you. And yeah, the type of product, the space, but also the human part of it. 
and also what the user might do or not. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's a big part of it as well. Not everything is into your hand. It's good to remember that. So that that's interesting. Thank you. We have talked already about a lot of things. We have talked about the fact that we need to bring people together. We talk about the volume part of it to scale it up and so on. But who or what industry would you like to bring more on board? Maybe a kind of association or specific type of retailers. If you have maybe a call to action in terms of partnership, who would that be? I'll let you respond, Celia. (laughs) (laughs) So we want to bring bulk everywhere. It's true that we started with FLCG goods. But we want to extend the bulk to every type of sectors and every type of goods that are prepackaged. We want to extend bulk for gardening, for example, for hardware stores, like paintings. We want also to extend to pharmacy, medicine, where you have a lot, a lot of packaging everywhere, basically. Everything can be bought in bulk. Sky is the limit. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> and low too. <laughs> and because of what you do to help this expansion and so on, how would you envision the replicability of your initiatives? Let's say I am in Canada or US or Australia or whatever, or maybe you know some that might exist somewhere else. When we when we created the Resovrac, we didn't think about extending the model but actually the way we built it it's totally replicable and extendable to another country we are starting to discuss it with portugal for example because there there are a lot of shops and then the suppliers and the professionals that are very engaged and for canada too actually we had this discussion with a french-speaking girl who was in quebec and she wanted to replicate the model of Resovrac. And it is something that we can do at the moment because we give our tools, like all the guides, the technical, the legal guide, the hygiene guide, the, the trainings, etc. We have a big basis of tools and knowledge that we can transfer. And then the person in her country will have to adapt to its law and find experts like we did in France, legal experts, hygiene experts to have them adapt the materials. Also the website that we created, if we want, we can duplicate all the development that has been made and then the person can install it and and develop it. So we have a lot of things that are duplicable, if we can say, and we would love to because the countries that will adopt it will go even faster than we did. Yeah, they don't have the struggle of the beginners or like the pioneers, <laughs> of course, yeah. And we do not have time to wait for this. We need to go fast and we need to be numerous. Yeah, so to the audience, feel free to reach <laughs> Celia and, and Elsa also for more tips and tricks to know how to implement that faster <laughs> with more and more partners and, and learn from continent to another as well. Because, of course, when you develop something, even if you are not at the beginning, you still learn something on the way, right? And then it can also have a 
positive effect on the network which is already existing in France and in your other region you are already in. So may maybe just the last one about the network. I know that you have also lab innovations and I, I was wondering if you do some partnership, not only in France, are these lab innovation something that is covering some partnership already across the board or not yet? Not yet. It's a brand new project that we launched last year and it's still going live this year. We wanted to focus on suppliers that wanted to help the bulk field to remove the barriers, to remove what it's not helping the system. And so we created the expert committee that helps nine entrepreneurs to make their POC, their proof of concept, go live and to test their proof of concept in some shops. And what we wanted to, it's to bring on the market new equipments, new solution, new software, new anything that could help bulk develop more quickly and create an adoption for the consumer. So for example, a lot of people told us When you uh, consume in bulk with the current dispenser, you don't really know the quantity that you serve. What we want is to go like the gas station. When we take the product, we want to go in real time, the quantity and the price. So we know that we need to bring innovation for this. We need to bring innovation to make bulk buying more practical, cheaper, even more green, environmental friendly, etc., etc., more hygienic. And so we, we accompany entrepreneurs to help us find solutions for this kind of difficulties that we still have with bulk. Ah, that's great. So something to follow, definitely. That's great. <laughs> sure. On the website and our social networks, you will learn everything. Thank you. And do you have anything you would like to add that we haven't spoken about? I can answer. We are organizing the second edition of the bulk month an opportunity to try bulk in March. So I will encourage every person that is listening to us to try bulk during March and also to join us in this movement and to go on our citizen website that is consommevrac.fr. It is in French, but you can subscribe to our newsletter that is available in February 2023rd and then you can just receive information, news and a lot of good vibes to consume and to go for bulk. That's great. Great call to action. <laughs> Thank you. We, we already mentioned the website and it will be in the show notes and so on. But for those who want to go deeper into bulk, We feel fair trade because as I, you're working in that field as well and organic cosmetics, packaging free in general, security, sustainability in general as well. What book, article or video has inspired you that you would like to share? And it also can be something that drives you. It doesn't have to be specifically 
connected to what you do, but also something that's in the morning you are waking up like, I have this inspiration because of that. And it's motivate me to, to keep going. It can be both. Okay. I will have two resources. One is super simple. It's just contemplation. I really find my French in observing the world and seeing the beauty in it. And I know why I'm doing all of this because I want to keep this world beautiful. And the second one is a book that I'm reading now. It's called Slow Down, Ralentir ou Périr in French. Mm-hmm. It's from Timothée Parik. And it's really interesting because as an entrepreneur, it makes me think a lot about in which direction I want to lead my business and how I can do business in a positive way, but also without running after the growth of my sales revenues. And so it makes me rethink about a lot of things. And yeah, I can advise this book to to our audience. Thank you. I will put it in the show notes for sure. And Celia? It's more about my to-do list of books that I need to read. So there is the one that Elsa just mentioned. I didn't have the time to read it yet, the book from Timothée Parik, but I listened to his interviews and I really wanted to read it. It's the book from Denis Mindo's The Limit to Growth, and there has been this new edition So I need to read that. And also one that is The Consumption Under Constraint from Dominique Desjeux and Philippe Moati. This is the two books that I want to read. And that's it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And sometimes it's come from other advice, like read that book. <laughs> There are so many books, yeah. but I do not have time enough to read, to be really honest. I hear you on that. So thank you for sharing. And it's always good to have like a book on your shelf to jump on it. Okay. Oh, I have a time. Let's start it. That's great. And now I would like you to address a burning question to a next guest related to packaging. So something that you would like to have an answer or you are curious about, and I will choose to whom your question might fit best? Well, I have one because in a former life, I'm not old at all, but in a former life, I was, I studied urban planning and I worked on the construction field to reuse materials of construction. So my question, it's related to cities and urban planning because I'm wondering, as Celia said, the supermarket organization really revolutionized the food system and the food industry. And so I'm wondering how this new packaging revolution is going to have an impact on how we build cities, how we go shopping, how we redesign our way to consume and our cities, because I hope and I think we will have more convenience stores and more like local supply chains. So I think it will have a big impact on the way we build our food system this uh, packaging shift so yeah i'm wondering how uh, your guests will uh, respond to this okay so how the bulk system reshape our cities and villages basically okay Mm, great question i i'm curious to discover that as well and celia do you have a question yes it's more a, a practical question do you buy in bulk 
if yes, what would you say to people around you to buy in bulk too? And if not, what is the main barrier to you for this kind of conception? And what should we do to change this and to convince people to go for bulk? Okay, that's interesting. So it's also the usual part of my guess is I, I like it. <laughs> They are human <laughs> and use it <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, and to wrap up this episode, how can the audience find out more about you and your organization and get in touch? Sure. For me, so you can find Yokubi online, on Instagram and on our website. So I think, Colleen, you will write it down because Yokubi, it's, it's a bit hard to spell. And then you can always go to, to see what is Circular Economic College and you will find a lot of information about what we talked about during this podcast and to have this more systemic view on the stakes we are talking about. So I encourage everybody to take these three hours to do this workshop great and you Celia for us if you want to follow Rezovrac it's Rezovrac on the social networks like LinkedIn and Instagram our website is Rezovrac.org and also if you want to know everything about bulk all during the, the year it's sur consomevrac.fr and you can also follow myself on the social network, especially on LinkedIn. I try to write a lot. <laughs> Great. Thank you. So thank you so much. And actually, just a little, little last one. Elsa, you just mentioned that it's hard to spell, but does it have a meaning? Yeah, sure. Of course. <laughs> Yokumi, it sounds Japanese, but it has nothing to do with Japan. It's a Navy word which is a language spoken in the south of Togo, which is the place where everything started because I used to live in Togo for a while and I met a cooperative of women that makes a shea butter and we started the project there and Yokumi means shea butter in Evi. Oh, okay, great. Because we are three women here, it's like it's nice to, yeah. to end up on a <laughs> meaning that is related to women as well. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for having shared all your knowledge here. I feel that we can still go for hours around this subject. And I felt that you made a perfect combo here. And I really appreciate your participation into this podcast. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you very much. Again. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. And if it's the case, be sure to subscribe where you get your podcast and leave us a five stars review to help for its visibility. You also probably have at least two or three friends or colleagues to share this episode with. Of course, feel free to get in touch by the lookforloops.com website or drop me a line on Colleen Regou LinkedIn profile. Last but not least, be sure to check the show notes with the links and resources. Until next time.